Morning, everyone. My, my, name, yeah, my name's Stuart, too. <laughs> uh, I've been here for about four years and occasionally get to preach, so I'm excited about having the opportunity to bring God's word to you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a passage before us today. Help us to see what you have to say to us, especially about the mystery that you've revealed in your word. Amen. Two days till Christmas, and we finally get to the end of Romans. Good timing, Stu. Uh, let's go back to Christmas. Two days. Are you, are you set? Every, you are? Okay. Have you wrapped up everything? No, Lorraine's not really set. Have you got all the food in Lorraine? No, well, you're not really set, are you at all? Uh, have you filled the gas bottle up? You're not, you, no, you don't? No, you don't? Okay. These guys have got a lot to do before Christmas. <laughs> What do you really want from Christmas this year? Uh, some people talk about the mystery of Christmas, some sort of experience they get around about Christmas time. Uh, in the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season, I think we need to think about that for a while. What are we actually searching for to get out of Christmas? Uh, for Christians, uh, often we talk about the incarnation of Christ, uh, God becoming man in the form of Jesus, and that's, that's the thing that we're interested in. And yet others, the phrase, the mystery, has got nothing to do with that. It's some sort of mystical experience that you get at this time of the year. And it's got to do with coloured lights and Christmas trees and good food and carols. And that all helps to foster the experience of warmth and peace. And somewhere in all of this, people are trying to create for themselves this sort of moment of joy. For many, the mystery is not rooted in anything religious at all. But it's interesting, we still use religious imagery to conjure up this mystery. We hum along to the carols in the shopping centres and we stick up nativity scenes in our front yards and uh, once a year we're happy to go to church and sing Silent Night and listen to a talk as long as it doesn't go for too long. It's that warm feeling of the baby Jesus gives us and the carols all have this role to play in discovering this Mystery of Christmas. I went um, carol singing the other day. Not carol singing, I used to do that. I went uh, looking at lights the other day and uh, I took my family with me and we were walking along and every house seemed to be better than the next. We finally came to this one house that was just the bee's knees. It had everything. You could spend half an hour looking at it. There was quite an old lady sitting out the front in a chair beaming. And as she watched the kids, especially looking at all the things that were happening in her yard and even had a snow machine the kids were standing under. And uh, she was in seventh heaven. For her, this was the mystery of Christmas. It had to do with family and friends and children and snow and she was, she was in joy. I wonder sometimes as Christians, are we any different? Is that the feeling that we want to get at Christmas time? Some sort of mystical experience that transcends even Jesus himself. Those who come to church occasionally aren't the only ones who are hoping the sermon will be short on Sunday morning. The joy that we're looking for happens after we've done church. Religious worship can help foster the mystery, but the mystery lies somewhere else. Now, it's all very interesting, isn't it? This search for the mystery of Christmas. I wonder what Paul would have thought of it all. Uh, now, Christmas wasn't a big deal in Paul's time at that stage of the Christian uh, growth of the church. 
Uh, but what was important for Paul was that people around him were searching. They were searching for warmth and contentment. They were searching for joy and pleasure and peace. They were searching for these things as well. And Paul was well aware that some were actually using Jesus to help them uh, initiate and find out the end of this search. So he writes about this towards the end of the book of Romans. And that's where we're going this morning. Chapter 16 begins with Paul's greetings to uh, those who are in the church at Rome. And he mentions a whole lot of people there. He then goes out and mentions uh, to watch out for those who might cause some divisions in this growing church because it was new and there were others coming in and saying, well, you need this and you need that if you really want to find out uh, what Jesus is all about. Then there's some more greetings from Paul's friends who are with him. And then we finally get to the verses that uh, Heidi read out for us right at the end there. Let's have a look at them on the slide here. Let me read them. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we go through this passage particularly, I want you to notice three things. What's the goal that Paul is talking about here that Christians should be seeking after? Who is it that can bring us to this goal? And the way in which we're brought towards that goal. So three things. What's the goal? Who brings us to the goal? What's the way that we're brought to that goal? And I'm hoping as we look at the passage that Paul can reorientate our thinking a little so that we're thinking about right ideas in the right places. And the goal that Paul lays out before us is probably not the one that's on the top of our Christmas list. Paul's goal is this. He says, don't try and gain happiness and joy this Christmas, but rather the obedience that comes through faith. That's his message, the obedience that comes through faith. That's what we should be aiming at, and that's what God is seeking for us. Now, this isn't new. Uh, Paul actually begins Romans with very similar words. Let's go to uh, the very beginning of the book that we started some months ago. And Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. We jump a bit. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. See, that's the theme, isn't it? It's the theme of Romans. Through him, Jesus calls us to the obedience of faith. Now we come to the end of the book and Paul's saying the same thing. What's this obedience Paul's talking about? Well, it's compliance to what God wants in our lives. We often sing about it in church, but I wonder if we actually comply that much. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your hearts and soul and mind. It's not the words that we stick on our fridge too often because it would just make us feel fairly guilty because that's what God requires of us. The dictionary tells us that obedience means to comply with or follow the commands, restrictions or instructions of someone else. And we, we don't like that naturally. That's... That's hard for us. Of course, the obedience that Paul has in mind here is obedience to God. Now, we know from the Bible that we were created by a good and perfect God. 
so that he might rule over us in a very good and perfect way, that we might receive good and perfect blessings from that rulership. But we also know from the Bible and from our experience that the blessings that come to us are only when we obey God. And here's the problem. The deepest satisfaction in our souls that we long for can only come when we truly obey God, when we live obedient lives. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's teaching is very clear. Obedience brings life and blessing and contentment and satisfaction and joy. Disobedience brings curse and death and discontentment, frustration, disappointment and pain. When I was a young lad, uh, I had two brothers and we'd often go up the mountains for our holidays. My mum had a number of rules when we were up the mountains. Don't play with snakes. That's a pretty good rule. Don't tread on them. So we threw rocks at them instead if we saw them. And don't go near the, don't, don't near, uh, the edge of cliffs. Uh, that was a pretty good rule too. But my brothers and I egged each other on and one day we were walking towards a cliff edge. It had a railing and I climbed the railing and I stood on the other side and I said, look, Mum, no hands. I know what disobedience feels like. I know, not death, but I know what content, discontentment means and frustration and disappointment and pain. The rules that God gives us are not just esoteric principles that are out there. He gives us commands. You see it in the Garden of Eden. You see it at Mount Sinai where God gives the law to Moses. God doesn't call us to elusive, incomprehensible principles. He gives us direct commands, restrictions and instructions. And human life and blessing is conditioned on obeying those commands. The repeated refrain in the Bible is this, do this and you shall live. There's nothing we need more than obedience to God. Now, this is a big problem for us, isn't it? When you think about it, that what God wants, we're not very good at it. We don't obey God. We don't fully experience the blessings that God has for us. We aren't blessed by his good and perfect rule. It was true in the garden. Adam and Eve were told to do this and not to do that, and they did the exact opposite. They disobeyed, and they were told that would die. And they did spiritually, and they did physically. And their relationship with God was screwed up. And their relationship with each other was screwed up. And there was a curse on creation. And we are born with hearts and wills that are corrupted. And our inclination is to do wrong all the time. We are born to disobedient parents and we ourselves are disobedient people. As Paul said earlier in this book, all have sinned, every single one of us, Jews and Gentiles, and fall short of the glory of God. And so the very thing that we need to satisfy ourselves is the very thing we can't have. Again, Paul says later on in this book, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. We are so far removed from what, doing what God wants us to do that there's no way back, no way we can actually do what God requires by ourselves. So how do we ever obtain this obedience? Well, Paul goes on to tell us, and we see it in the words here. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. God can do it. God can establish it in us. 
And you'll see there in the, in the, in the white section there, there are, there are a couple of reasons, a couple of according to's that uh, Paul gives. According to my gospel, according to the message of Jesus, and according to the revelation of the mystery once hidden and now revealed. Well, let's have a look at those three and see what they're all about. Now, they're intimately related. You can't really separate them. Uh, there's no doubt that Paul's gospel is, is the teaching of Jesus. But some say Paul sort of made up the gospel. It's not sort of what Jesus would have said. And it was something else he added, but that's not what Paul says. Uh, if we go to Galatians and the chapter uh, 1 there and a couple of verses that we've put together, uh, Paul says this about the gospel that came to him. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. That Paul goes out of his way to say, the gospel that I preach is the gospel of Jesus. What's its content? Well, if we go over to 2 Corinthians, we see there, chapter 1, we read this at the top, verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And in the next chapter he writes, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. This is the emphasis of Paul's gospel. It's about the work and person of Jesus, with particular reference to his crucifixion for our sins. It begins with God becoming a man, taking on human nature. It tells us that this man lived in perfect obedience to the Father. He knew no sin. And in that obedience, he secured a perfect righteousness before the Father. He was the only one in history who could stand before God. And God could look at him and say, you are completely righteous and innocent. And yet Paul's gospel declares that in this obedience, Jesus willingly went to the cross he died in our place. In and through his death, he delivered us from the penalty of sin. He delivered us from the power of sin. He freed us. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He sent his own perfect resurrection spirit to indwell us, to regenerate us, to renew our minds as we saw in chapter 12 and to give us understanding of who Jesus is. The spirit also gives us a gift of faith. It's not something that we manufacture. God actually gives it to us. We have faith as Jesus, as Saviour and Lord and God. And the Spirit renews our affection so that we can love God and love our neighbour as ourselves. And we can obey Jesus, conform to his character. This is the message that Paul has been unpacking all through the book of Romans as we've looked so far this year. This is Paul's gospel. And according to this, this is the way God works to bring about that obedience of faith. Well, let's look at that third according to. We looked at the gospel of Paul. We looked at the work of Jesus. 
The third one is this. In keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. When I was a young lad, my mum lost a wedding ring. Actually, it was her engagement ring. I remember that because we looked for it. I, I, I was old enough to have memories back then and remember looking for it with my brothers and my sister and we spent hours going through the home. It was like the lady, remember she'd lost the ring in the Bible and she went looking for it, but we didn't find it. We couldn't rejoice. Uh, we went everywhere where she'd been and we couldn't find it. A month later, my uncle who lived up the road was hosing in the garden and as he hosed, a leaf blew over and there was the engagement ring shining in the sunlight. Uh, it had always been there, but now it was revealed. Always there, now revealed. Now the gospel is like that. It's always been there. Ever since the time when we sinned, the gospel is growing. We see it in the Old Testament. Uh, although we rebelled against God, God makes a promise right at the beginning that he's going to resurrect and, and renew his people and save them. He'd been promising for centuries to take away people's sins. And he would cleanse them. He would make them new so that they could obey him from the heart, not just because of the law. Now, during the Old Testament time, uh, God had done lots of things. He'd brought his people out of Egypt. He'd uh, given them the law. He'd raised up priests to serve in the tabernacle. He'd given them the time of the judges, of rulers, to come up and rule over them and guide them through difficult times as they entered the promised land. He'd give them kings to rule over them and prophets to come and speak a word of God to them and to speak about a future when God would make his people pure and holy. The prophets spoke of a promised saviour that would rule them in perfect righteousness. But as the centuries rolled on, the promises didn't come true. Some of them did, but not all of them. And so for ages, the great mystery that confronted God's people was this. How will God actually save us? How will he cleanse us from our sins once and for all? How will he make us obey him from the heart? How will he defeat our enemies? And when will he do this? How and when? How and when was the big question that the people at the end of the Old Testament era were asking. Throughout the Old Testament, the mystery was not something you ascended to in holy contemplation. It wasn't going up into a cave and muttering a few words and thinking God thoughts. The mystery was a question that needed answering. And in the coming of Jesus, in his perfect life and atoning death and his powerful resurrection, in his gracious provision of his own spirit and the preaching of Paul and Paul's interpretation of the prophetic writings, God finally revealed the answer to the great mystery of the ages. The answer is that Sunday school answer to every question, Jesus. Always was and always will be. The gospel of Jesus is the definitive answer to all human longings. You don't need to wait for something else or something deeper. The gospel not only promises the forgiveness of sins, it provides a way of righteousness where Jesus' righteousness is credited to you so that when you stand before God, he sees someone who doesn't sin. And God makes it a transforming gospel where God 
produces through his spirit the obedience that he desires. It's God-given. It's the obedience of faith that marks out the true Christian. It's one who not only listens to Jesus, but does what he says he should do. What a God who can execute such an amazing plan. So this Christmas, let me go back to the original question I asked. What are you seeking for over this period? I suggest you seek the true mystery of Christmas. It's not a mystery you have to figure out. It's not a mystery where you can use a little religion in the hope of trying to enter into it. This season, look to Jesus not as a tool for your holiday happiness, but as an answer to the question of the ages. You know, the Christmas tree eventually is going to be packed up and thrown out. If it's like mine, it dies before Christmas. (laughs) All that wrapping paper's got to be put in the bin. The lights taken down. The last carols are sung. The blown-up Santa packed away for another year. The relatives' leaves, the washing up is done. Was that feel-good experience all there was? Is that what it was all about? Do you have to wait till next year to feel that way again? No. Look to Jesus. He's the one who can give you what your soul aches for. Look and believe and obey and truly live. Let me leave you with the words of Jesus where he speaks to his disciples as he leaves them. For the last time before he sends his spirit, he says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Now Stuart mentioned these before, Karen Connect cards. Time to fill these out. Uh, You might just like to write your name on it, perhaps a question you've got about the sermon, uh, prayer points, whatever, be great. And when you're finished, you can stick them in the box at the back when you leave. Thanks.